So uh, some of you know uh, one of my mentors has been uh, a, a man named Kevin Bursima, who has been the pastor of New Life Community Church in West Lakeview. Uh, he and I went on a uh, crosswalk this past Lent. It's where he was carrying a huge cross, kind of about as tall or maybe even taller than the one right that we have here all around West Lakeview and, um, and uh, just talking with people about Jesus. And I was really challenged by that, and so I decided to join him one of these days. And um, I tell the story in a different sermon. You'll have to download it, I guess. Um, but all this to say, Kevin was someone I really looked up to, still do. Um, and he, he took time to mentor me and help me better lead Emmanuel, and especially in our early, early phases. He's a man that I love a lot um, and have learned from. Uh, this past summer, he was in a, a motorcycle accident, uh, and um, he was, um, his life was spared, which was a miracle. And, um, but uh, he's had major, major recovery uh, since he's been hospitalized. Um, and one of the hardest things to see is that he's had traumatic brain injury. Um, and um, he's been at uh, the, um, the RIC, Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, um, since he had his accident, um, making great progress um, both with body um, rehabilitation as well as with mind. And it's been so cool to see. Um, and... Um, one, one snag that his wife has hit in the process has been that he's got to get out of the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago because he's no longer in that stage. But now he needs to go to a, um, uh, a place called NeuroRestorative, which helps the brain continue to make progress um, so that he can get back to normal, um, or at least as far as he can. But the insurance company has been fighting that. And the insurance company has been basically had been t telling his wife he can only go to a nursing home where there is no neurotherapy, where he's just going to sit there. Um, and what's even more infuriating was that it was going to be the same cost. It was not going to cost the insurance company a dime more to put him in neurorestorative than in a nursing home. And so anyway, I'm in a Facebook group, and we're all following the events as they unfold. And when this news came out, um, you know, we were all like, what do we do? You know, uh, what's it going to take to get this insurance company to wake up and do something that they have the power to do, which is to bring justice to this situation? And we're all looking at Kevin, like Kevin's looked out for a lot of us in times past, and now we've got to look out for him. And so unless we speak out, Kevin's not going to get the, the, the neurological therapy that he really needs that's so critical in that first year. So a lot of us, myself included, got on social media, got on Twitter, and we, we were tweeting the insurance company saying, hey, you know, we would love a Thanksgiving miracle from you for our friend Kevin. There's even a hashtag, don't deny Kevin. Uh, don't look it up right now, please. Um, after the sermon, it's your homework. Um, but anyway, um, but it was like, what's it going to take? If it's the same to you, what's it going to take? You've got the power to change the situation. So we're going to do everything we can to cry out and make sure that justice is done. Now, if you're here and, and you believe in God, or maybe you're here and you're like, I want to believe in God, um, and, and you want to believe that not, God not only exists, but that he's powerful, that he can do something good in the world, you might be asking him the same question that, that we were asking the insurance company, which is, what's it going to take? If you have the power 
If you're a powerful God and you can come to this world and make things right and bring justice where there's an injustice and look out for the needy and the vulnerable when, when they don't have other people to look out for him, when will you come? What's it going to take for you to come in this dog-eat-dog environment and make this right? Maybe you're looking at what's happening in this country right now and you've seen the death of Michael Brown and, and there's been no indictment for the person um, who, who killed him. And you've seen the death of Eric Garner, both, both unarmed African-American males, and, and you're like, there's no indictment for either one of their killers, for, e- for, either, for either person who, who had some responsibility, not even an indictment, not even a trial. What's wrong and what's it going to take? If there's a supernatural power, why can't that supernatural power come into this situation and make it right? What's it going to take? Or maybe you've been in the justice system personally, maybe as an advocate, maybe as a friend, maybe who's someone who's been trying to, you know, uh, beat uh, a bogus cause or go through a, a really difficult divorce, or you've seen the way that judges and lawyers and, and, and the, the justice system works, and you're like, there's something not working here. The people with the money know how to play the game. The people without the money don't know, have the resources to play the game, and they get screwed. A lot of people who who are in public life in Illinois get cynical because they spend time in the in the justice system and they're like, "There's something quite not. There's nothing not quite not quite right here." So maybe maybe you've been in that around that and you've felt personally or you've seen injustice, um, or maybe you, it's just like in your workplace. You, you see people working a game and they get benefits and time off and you don't and some people get treated this way and some people get access and other people don't and, and it's just a really unjust system. Um, or maybe you just look at what you're, what's happening in your family and you're like, There's not, this is not working right. The power dynamics are, are, are screwed up. And so if there's a God who's powerful, why can't he come in and like bring justice to, to the situation? Because the status quo is not okay. The status quo, how things are, we shouldn't be comfortable with the status quo. So God, when are you going to come down and bring your kingdom of justice and truth and peace and, and, and go down to the deepest parts of, of, of all the things that are wrong and set it straight? What's it going to take? Because it's not okay. Because if Advent's not just a head game and Jesus Christ isn't just an idea... If there's an actual kingdom coming and an actual king who's coming, what's it really going to take for that kingdom to come, for that king to come, for the justice to be established? The people that our text references in verse 5 were asking a very similar question. Look with me in Mark 1, verse 5. It references all the country of Judea and Jerusalem, all the people from Judea and Jerusalem were, 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 were making a pilgrimage. And let me tell you, as they made their pilgrimage, they were asking a very similar question of what's it going to take for the kingdom of God to bring justice? And I tell you that because they lived on the edge of a sword. They were a dominated people. And so their entire life was physically or metaphorically lived with the Roman sword pointed at their forehead like this. 
and that's all they, has a rubber band ever been pointed at you and like, come on, stop, you know what I mean? Like, they take that domination away or whatever. They live with a sword pointed at their face, at their life. Because Rome, the Roman Empire had come and conquered them. They were a colony. It was, it was okay to do that back then. And, and so they, they kind of lived with that. They lived with Roman soldiers occupying their little villages and countries. And they gave their money to Rome to keep the infrastructure going. And they gave their, they had to, their allegiance to Rome. And even their children to Rome. Another gospel reading from Luke, it, it talks about um, what did Herod do? He was like, hey, kill all the Roman, ba- or kill all the Jewish babies. Just, I'm just, I've got a paranoia and whatever. And he could do that. He could just kill all the little infant boys. Because he wanted to. That's what it means to have a Roman sword pointed at your head. That's unjust. And that's the kind of lives they had to live. They couldn't do anything about it. Well, they could. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they were surely asking a similar question. What's it going to take for the kingdom of God to come and for justice and peace to reign now? What's it going to take for the status quo to get snapped in half? For the kingdom of God to come, bring something so much better. So how did they respond? Not unlike the response that I and my friends gave to the insurance company. Okay, we played the game. We're powered up. And I'll tell you what some of the uh, people of Judea and Jerusalem did. Some of them, um, they got pious. They brought sacrifices. And sacrifices was the way they played the game. Okay, so they'd go to temple. And, and, they, would, and they would follow the Torah as much, as closely as they could. And they would, they would be up in your grill if you weren't following the Torah. Because their idea was like, the reason God hasn't bringing his kingdom is because we're not being good enough. We've got to follow the rules. Let's get better at the game. Let's, let's, let's get the law cranked down and let's crack down on everyone who's not following the law. And, and when God sees how righteous we are, he'll respond. He'll come down, he'll respond, and he'll bring the rest of the righteousness. So we bring X amount of dollars in the Kickstarter campaign and God matches it. And then the kingdom comes. We bring half the justice. He, come, he brings the other half of the justice. Sacrifices are the way we play the game. Other people, silver was the way they played the game. They're like, oh, I get it. I'm going to economically and politically, you know, make it happen for myself and for my family. And I'm going to make the money I need to make. And I'm going to get the connections I need to make. I'm going to make nice with the Jewish people. I'm going to make nice with the Roman people. And this is what we know as the Sadducees. The first, you know, people with the sacrifices were the Pharisees. People with the, uh, the silver were the Sadducees. With the social currency and, and power. This is corrupted. It's a corrupted class. But they're like, hey, that's how you got, that's how things happen here. And, and, for, and for decades in Chicago, that's how a lot of people thought. Hey, the only way to get around, the only thing, way to get things done is you gotta, you got to play the game. And if it means a little bit of corruption, that's okay, because Chicago ain't ready for reform yet. So some people it was sacrifices, other people it was silver. With, with a third group, the zealots, it was the sword. That's how they played the game. They're like, oh yeah, no, 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 I get it. If a sword's going to be pointed at my face, I'm going to find a way to point one at your face. And maybe I'll die in the process, but if that's what it takes... If the sword is how you get justice done, I'm going to bring the kingdom of God through the sword. I'm going to, I'm going to use violence. I'm going to power up. And, and once you know that you can't mess with God's people anymore, then justice will be done. 
and God will bring the rest of the justice. So maybe if we pray enough, maybe, maybe if we make enough, or maybe if we kill enough, maybe then justice will finally be served and God will come down. God will come down. It'll be dramatic. He'll just set fire to our project. And the whole world will know that you don't mess with God's people anymore and you will not stand in the way of justice anymore because finally God will have come through for us. And he'll do so by, by sending a deliverer who will just finish the job. Um, the Messiah was the one who would bring justice and finish the job of justice that we started, our project, because we weren't satisfied with the status quo anymore. So imagine you're one of these groups and you live at the edge of the sword and imagine you're one of these groups and you hear verses 1 and 3 of your text, okay? Which says, the beginning of the gospel, which is this epic worldwide news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, okay, all right. God's own Son, um, which is a, another way of talking about the Messiah, the Deliverer. He's going to come and there's a, there's a euangelion. There's a good news coming out. It's leaked out. It's, it's breaking the internet. It's breaking Twitter. Something's happening. There's a buzz. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring justice. Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, before the face of the Son of God, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. So, that's what we've been doing. We've been preparing the way, right? Through the sword or through silver or through sacrifices. We've been preparing the way of the Lord. Yeah, we know what he's all about and we've been getting his path straight and we started the Kickstarter campaign and we've been, we've been kind of playing God's game and he's going to respond and he's going to come and he's going to vindicate us and finish the job in the process. And then we have a shift. Then all of the expectations for this justice and what, and what Jesus is going to do to bring that justice begins to shift we need to pay attention to what happens here in verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, friends, don't miss the significance of this because this isn't about to make anybody happy here. None of the groups are going to be particularly excited about hearing this. Why? Well, number one, it's in the wilderness. And the wilderness is pretty far from the temple where you would make sacrifices and follow Torah. And the wilderness is pretty far from economic and political power. It's, far from, it's on the periphery as much as you can. It's not even on the periphery. It's out of the, it's out of the zone completely. You, so whatever power or money you've accumulated, it's not recognized in the wilderness. And in the wilderness... You don't stage a coup against Rome in the wilderness. It's a huge, impractical place. So if you're going to power up and bring God down, you don't do it in the wilderness. Not only that, it talks about repentance, which is a change of thinking and a change of living. It's a turning around. It's a, my first strategy is not working. I need a completely different strategy, a completely different way of thinking. 
and it has to do about me, and it's pretty personal. So, and it's, a, it's repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The way that you're changing your mind is about your own life, your own choices. You're brought to the end of yourself before the living God. John's message, this guy John, was not, let's change the status quo. All, all of you people here who see the need for God's justice and, and the, on, the, on a macro scale. His message was not, let's change the status quo. John the Baptist's message was, you are the status quo. In a number of a thousand little tiny ways, you've been perpetuating injustice and something is wrong all the way at the core of your heart, of your soul. Something deep within has transgressed the kingdom of God and has brought injustice in the world. And that needs to be confessed. And, and, and you are what's wrong with the world. I am what's wrong with the world. That is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's where the message starts. That's where the justice of God starts. With the baptism, with, conf- with personal confession. That I myself have perpetuated economic injustice and political injustice and violence injustice and social injustice. I have left people out. I have excluded. I need to confess that. Injustice starts in the very core of my own self. I have tried to bring God down when he hasn't asked me to. I have excluded. And John says, confess these things. You are the status quo. Now, <laughs> welcome to the wilderness where all of that gets confessed. This story is meant to remind us of an event that loomed large in the history of Israel, which was the story of the Exodus. That, that's what Mark wants us to read all these clues, and he wants the movie of the Exodus, the story of the Exodus, to play in our minds. Because... When God's people were slaves, when they were experiencing the most difficult injustice and cruel slavery, when they were absolutely helpless, when they could not deliver themselves, God did miraculously break in and sprung them out of Pharaoh's grip, brought them through the Red Sea, and crushed their enemies in the process. It was 100% God's doing. It was 100% not their doing. They had 0% credit for the exodus. When they were on the other side of the Red Sea, the only thing that they could confess was that God had delivered them and they were helpless. Therefore, they could be completely grateful. They could say, oh my goodness, you've delivered me from slavery. I praise you. I follow you. I, I'm with you. And, and it was in the wilderness where God said, you're my people. And I'm your God. You're mine and I'm yours. And let's just start there. Let's just start with zero. How about that? Let's just start with, with, with basic principles, which is that I've delivered you and you are helpless and you're mine. And before we even talk about the Ten Commandments, you just need to know that. That you're my son, you're my daughter. <laughs> you belong to me. What I love about the wilderness is that it's like the place of the honeymoon between God and his people. It was like the first date. It was like, this is, this is where um, we say to one another, we declare our love for one another. And, and whenever we forget how this works, 
let's go back to the wilderness and remember how it works. Because Yahweh said, when he delivered his people from, from Egypt, he said, I didn't deliver you because you forced my hand. See, I, I didn't deliver you because you came halfway and called me down and conjured me. See, it wasn't silver or sacrifices or swords that, that caused me to deliver you. It was my love for you, and it was my love for the world. That's why I came down. So in the wilderness, there's no comparison about who's doing more for the cause of justice and who's not. There's no comparison with, um, with who deserves a good shaming and who deserves to be recognized. There's no room for that in the wilderness. The wilderness is like a force field where those games don't work anymore. The only dynamic in the wilderness is the dynamic of God's grace. It's the only thing that we start with. It's the only thing that we recognize. Yes, other things flow out of God's grace, but they never graduate from God's grace. In the wilderness, the only thing that God responds to is our confession. (laughs) That's the only thing God responds to. Our confession of our helplessness, our confession of our sin, our confession of his goodness, our confession of praise for how good he's been to us. God says, I love you, I'm committed to you, so no more games. No more games. Stop conjuring. Stop striving. Stop comparing yourself with other people. No more games. This is grace. This is me and you. (laughs) And the people were responding. They were confessing their sins. Look with me in verse 5. The people of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. You see, things can move forward when sins are confessed. And this is a very counterintuitive thing. When we confess our sins, there is new intimacy and there's new life and, there, and there's new vitality. Um, one of the people that I learned a great deal from, uh, another counselor in, in D.C. Um, who did counseling full-time, um, one of the things that she does when she... Uh, encounters a marriage that is in deep trouble where there's lots of bitterness and there's just walls being built up between the husband and the wife. Do you know what the first thing that she does? The first assignment is she says, I want you to write down all the ways that you've sinned against your spouse. Write them down and be comprehensive. And then confess those sins to God. And then when we meet up again, you're going to confess them to your spouse. And it was, it's just one right after the other. Husband confesses, wife confesses. Husband confesses, wife confesses. And you just go all the, way, all the way down, all the way through. Now, what do you think is the dynamic between the husband and the wife after they're finished confessing? There's incredible potential for intimacy at that point. When there's been confession of sin, where there's been humility, where there's been self-effacing, as it were, a reckoning, I've sinned against you. That's the beginning of the relationship, and that's the beginning of the reordering of the relationship. And that's where justice starts in the kingdom of God. Justice in the kingdom of God starts with us coming to the end of ourselves, realizing how much we have contributed to the status quo, realizing how much we've been playing a game with ourselves, with each other, and with God. And then 
we loosen our grip on our own merits and we confess that we absolutely need God's grace. See, in verse 7, you'll see that John says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. You see John's humility? And this is not faux humility. Uh, This is real humility. I think what John realizes is what we need to realize about Jesus, which is that as gracious as Jesus is um, and as self-giving as Jesus is, we don't deserve Jesus. And we don't deserve his justice because we've contributed to the injustice in the world. We really have. We've been direct, we've made direct contributions, even if we don't know it, to injustice. And, and, and it, it happens in small ways and in big ways. And it's only when people get a lot of power or a lot of money that you see what's always been in their hearts. And this is one of the great insights of Dallas Willard. Power reveals the corruption that's in your heart. Power does not itself corrupt you. Same with money. Same, whatever it might be. A lot of us don't have a lot of power and money. So the injustice that we do really isn't very loud or, or noticeable. We can, it's very easy to cut paper mache over it. In the wilderness, all of that mercifully gets stripped away so that we can start with first principles. <laughs> we need to confess our sins. Nevertheless, we don't deserve Jesus, but nevertheless, he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. You see in verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In short, what John is talking about is that Jesus will unite himself to you through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes not to glorify himself, but to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings the person of Jesus so near that it's even hard to find language to talk about how close he is. That it's, it's so difficult to talk about how, how, how alive he is at work in our life and in the world for justice. His energy and his purposes and our purposes become united and become one. And we, we become participants in his justice by his grace when we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. It is a gracious thing. So um, when we do partner with Jesus in the work of justice, we don't do it with bravado. We don't do it with powering up, though we may operate in fields of power. We do not operate with shrill, shaming self-righteousness when we pursue justice as people united to the Holy Spirit, united to Jesus Christ through the Spirit. It's the way of death and resurrection. And we look in history when people who have brought justice, they have suffered for it. And they have suffered for the sake of others. Not because they're self-aggrandizing, but because they love. Because Jesus is leading them to justice and not the other way around. Jesus does not call us to be spectacular. Jesus calls us to wash feet with him and die with him. And that's where justice starts. It's courage and humility. So, today is a very poignant day to talk about justice. Okay? Whatever you think of the Eric Garner situation, our country in response to that situation is crying out for justice, in response to Michael Brown and Eric Garner. Whatever you think of the situation, or however you feel, I know there's strong feelings here. 
whatever you think or feel about it, our country is crying out for justice. And there, there, there's all kinds of demonstrations going on today. Okay? Um, so how do we respond? It's a good question. You may be asking the question, what is the right response for the church? What's the right response for you? Let's talk about that. Okay? Here's a response. We'll start by confessing. Okay? After the sermon's over, we'll confess the Nicene Creed. So we're going to confess what's true about God, essentially what people confessed after they were delivered from, from Egypt. We're going to confess that Jesus came to deliver us and that we're sinners and, and, and that we're grateful that he has and that we're going to be resurrected with him. So we'll start with confessing that. And then we're going to confess our sins. And I, and I want to encourage you to really participate in this. Okay? Confess your sins. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you how you've perpetuated injustice or how you've, been, how you've broken one of God's laws. It's the most natural thing to do as the people of God. So we're going to confess the creed, what's true. We're going to confess our sins. And then we're going to confess the cries of our heart and the prayers of the people. And we're, and we're going to pray for justice to come about. And I want to encourage you, don't check out or check your phones or just zoom out or zombie out when we're doing prayers of the people. It's the prayers of the people. It's the prayers of the people. I mean, pray. Maybe you're praying silently. Maybe you're praying out loud. Maybe it's somewhere in between. But pray when we pray the prayers of the people. It's your prayers. And it's confession to God of the cries of our heart. He's asked us to do it. The church has done it for millennia. So let's do it together today. And then we're going to confess the peace. We're going to confess that the peace of Christ is with you and with me. And here, the peace of Christ is here. And imperfect though we be, the peace of Christ is with us because he's forgiven us. (laughs) And he's here and he's going to send us out. And then we're going to be united with Christ in, in, the, in the feast of the Eucharist. And we're going to experience His grace, and we need His grace. And there's prayer ministers up there, and, I, and if there's something on your heart and your burden, go to a prayer minister and pray. I don't care if the line's long. Just pray, just go and pray. Or maybe you see someone who needs prayer, just pray with them, pray for them. Pray for justice or pray for your own life, whatever it might be. But Jesus is here. And he's here to minister to us, and he's here to hear our prayers. And what Mark said is true, that the gospel of Jesus Christ has started and has begun and continues today. So, um, when that's all over, how do you respond? And how do we respond? How do you respond as an individual? How do we, we respond as a church? Um, let's start with you. I know some of you are planning to go to protest at Wilson and Sheridan which conveniently is only a block away, at 11.30, right after the service, basically. And I know there's a protest happening there. Uh, and you may feel uh, uh, compelled to go there. You really might. Um, and um, I tell you, go forth into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit, okay, in peace. And some of you will, not, will choose not to protest, and, you, and you're like, you know what, I'm not called to that, or maybe you feel like it's not, not the right thing to do. And I tell you, go forth into the world in the power of the Spirit. Go in peace. Let me tell you about some other options, okay, for what you can do. Um, do you want to honor and value the lives of African Americans in our country? Do you? Because I, I want to tell you that our church meets in a high school that is 90% or more African American. And, and as you know, um, when you're in high school, you don't have a whole lot of power, right? But you could be targeted and you could be harassed and you could have 
things denied to you or whatever, and that's discouraging. And so if you want to start with a personal and local way to honor and value the lives of African Americans in our country, let's start with uplift. You could go to a basketball game. They might make state this year. They're a really good team. You could go to a game sometime and bring a sign that says, go uplift. And then when they're done with the game, go up to the team and tell them, great job, and introduce yourself. And maybe, maybe buy them a Sonic or something. And then um, maybe if you want to get involved, you know, this, the school needs more applicants. They need more students to come in because if they don't, they, they lose funding every year. So they have to increase their enrollment every year to keep the same amount of funding. So if you want to help with that effort, that would really help out with the cause of justice, and it's really local, and it's really doable. If you want to do that, talk to Elizabeth. Okay? She's got an office right up there, and she's here on behalf of Emmanuel, two days a week, working for justice for Uplift High School. So if you want to start in a personal and local way, there's totally ways that that can happen. And the basketball schedules are at the welcome table. Okay, so those are some options. There are more options, but those are the ones that I have for you. So what are we going to do as a church? Yeah, Father Michael Flager said, oh, all churches should go protest. Father Michael Flager is not the pastor of this congregation. Okay? Um, so what are we going to do? We talked about this at a staff meeting on Friday. And I think appropriate place for Emmanuel to start is the place we've always started, which is fasting and prayer. So on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, I invite you to come pray with us at the Ministry Center, which is at 4619 North Ravenswood, Suite 303B. And I invite you to fast from all meals on Wednesday, or at least one of the meals on Wednesday. One of the things that fasting does, it doesn't conjure God, by the way. He's called us to do it. But it's one of the ways that we experience how much we need God's grace. Because when you realize that when you have a headache because you haven't eaten, and all of a sudden you're like so much more likely to cut someone off because of that or say an unkind word because of that, you realize why injustice is so widespread. So fast from some food on Wednesday and pray with us for justice to come when we do evening prayer at the ministry center on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We'll ask Jesus to lead us to his justice and his way rather than asking him to tag along as we pursue our version of justice. That's what we're going to do as a people. Because we are the status quo. But thanks be to God, we've been delivered (laughs) from ourselves and from the status quo. And we will be sent forward into the world in peace, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit in the long term. We're in this for the long haul. Okay? praying and seeking justice and some of you should go into law enforcement and some of you should be a judge so that when election day comes in Chicago we're not like who do I vote for here and some of you should be, become lawyers some of you should become public defendants or teachers some of you should go into public housing some of you should stay in politics and not get cynical in Chicago some of you should run for alderman you should pursue your vocation and seek justice in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you should learn how to pray in the process. Because it is God who will bring justice, and it is God who brings you your vocation. It is God who brings your calling. And it is the Lord Jesus who will finally, in the end, 
collect all of our offerings that we've given him out of a humble need of grace in this life and said, Lord Jesus, here, here is our response to you. Here is what you've allowed us to do in this life. And he will take it and he will create perfect justice in a way that we never saw coming. So whether you protest today or you don't, go forth into the world in peace, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Alleluia. Amen.